Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I am Peter Sherman, in for Alex Pearson, and I want to talk to you for a moment about a former captain in the Canadian Armed Forces who says she still encourages women to serve despite having experienced rampant sexism and abuse during her career. And she says it all in a memoir, a new book called Girls Need Not Apply. And her name is Kelly S. Thompson. She worries that without enough female representation, the attitude towards women in the military will not change. I think you're doing your part, Kelly, to change it. Thank you. I hope so, too. Well, tell me about your book. You've written Girls Need Not Apply, which suggests, if you would just look at the title, that we don't need any women in the military. But obviously, you've had quite a a good career in the military. You seem to have loved it. Uh, You seem to want to encourage uh, women to apply to serve. But uh, you really have to run the gauntlet in the Canadian forces uh, to get by because of the sexism that exists on the part of the men. Very true. And the the title actually started out, um, I was kind of imagining like a Uncle Sam poster and we want you, but girls need not apply with a little, you know, note at the bottom. And it was more so about how uh, I definitely went into the military as a girl, not a woman, because I did not go in educated and with my eyes wide open. And I think if I had, I might have been a little more prepared to stand up for myself, uh, to encourage the change that I wanted to see. And then, um, to stand up for what I thought was right. Well, you went in at 18. I'm looking at a picture of you right now uh, in combat gear and, and holding the, uh, I, I guess it's a semi-automatic or automatic weapon, and you look like a recruiting poster. And, <laughs> and, you, and you did what you set out to do, and you look back on your military career with a great deal of fondness, but you really did have to jump through hoops. And you you did it, and, and did it with a smile on your face, but you also are well aware that there are people, women, who left the military because they couldn't stand it. Absolutely. And uh, I've interviewed those women and spoken to them at length. I do a lot of freelance writing as well. And uh, I spoke, I had such a hard time finding other women who were willing to speak to me about their experiences because they were so traumatized. And I had a lot of really difficult experiences in the military, but I had a lot of really beautiful ones too. But it it was frustrating when it felt like every success I had had to be attributed to my breast size or who they felt I was having a relationship with at the time. Or when I failed, it was because of my chest and because of my gender. I wanted to just be accepted for the things that I brought to the table that I felt were valuable characteristics that lent something important and valuable to the military. Um, But the constant misogyny was really it got me down so by the time I left I was actually released medically I wasn't given a choice and by the time I left it was emotionally time to go as much as it was physically no I understand you saying that and uh, I think people are aware and if they're not I'm going to remind them 
that uh, just uh, a month ago in July, the federal government promised $900 million in compensation to settle uh, class action lawsuits filed on behalf of survivors, survivors, I love the word, of sexual harassment, gender discrimination, and sexual assault in the military. And, you know, it, it's uh, the way I'm reading it from the material I'm working from, it sounds like there was gender discrimination both ways. Uh-uh, this is always male against female. Well, it's, it's funny. I've had, uh, I, I mean, in the book, I very much own some of my behavior that I feel contributed to the uh, the culture, that sexist culture. How? That had- That's an interesting thing to say. That's yeah. like, it sounds like you're blaming your, it's, it sounds like the women who blame themselves for, for their own rape. Very true. And I, and I have recognized that in myself. And so it was almost, uh, I realized When I was initially writing the book, how hard I was being on myself. Uh, I was 18 and I was flirting with some of the guys because it felt good because you're 18 and you're away from home and you're in this crazy, stressful environment. Uh, So at the same time, um, at the time when I was serving, I didn't necessarily feel like I was being harassed because I, it felt like part and parcel of the experience. And so I had a former male colleague say to me recently, well, nothing really happened to you. And you're just, you know, you're just now hanging the forces out to dry. And that's not what it is. I do still love the forces, but that it, it was constant and every day. And that wears you down emotionally. Why do I have the feeling that you gave as good as you got? How do you mean? Well, it, it sounds to me like if uh, if somebody came after you uh, and uh, either something as simple as hitting on you when you didn't want to be hit on or um, making fun of you because of chest size or something that is pr- particularly female, um, it, you sound like the kind of person who might have gone back and said, uh, where it comes to size, if I were you, I wouldn't be talking. Yeah, and this, <laughs> it's a good point. I... I very much learned uh, to fight the sexism I was facing by laughing about it. And I feel real guilt about that for the women I feel like I left behind to deal mm. with with that mess. And that's a really common feeling I've noticed with other women in other female veterans that I speak to. There's this collective guilt we share for our silence. And it's funny how people meet me now, and it's been eight years since I've been out. And so people meet me now and say, oh, you're not someone who puts up with stuff like that. And I'm not. So the fact that I sat there and took it is to this day very, very strange to me. I mean, I'm talking being full on groped, having my chest groped at a work function and grabbed in front of other people. Um, And I just stood there and giggled about it because I didn't know what to do and I felt so deeply uncomfortable. And I think that's a really common thing that women experience when they face that. You You try to find all these ways to blame yourself. I asked for it. I flirted. I made them, I had drinks around them. And that's such a chronic part of the problem. Um, So I'm both horrified with the fact that I do that, but also recognizing that that has been conditioned into me by the experience. All right. So according to the 2019 sexual misconduct incident tracking report, that's a long title, but you would be familiar with it for sure. Anyway, it (laughs) came out last week and uh, commanders received a total of 302 sexual misconduct complaints between April 2018 and March 2019, so a year ending this year. So it's still fairly common. It's a decrease of 25% from the prior year and 33% from 16-17. So there's some inroads being made on the one hand. On the other hand, 300 complaints in a military that's, what, 25,000 in total? That's just way too high. 
Well, what's also interesting about that is if you read further into that report, there's also a note that notes that the provo marshal, so the, the military police, keeps their own records of assaults that are reported directly to them. So 2015, when uh, Operation Honor came out, which is the operation uh, where a lot of those statistics of the report released last week, that's where a lot of those statistics were drawn from. Uh, in 2015, they had 130 sexual assaults reported. 2017, two years later, we're up to 180 some odd. And so, uh, if well, we still have a problem, Kelly. Absolutely. And so they're saying it's going down. Is it? I don't know. Um, I I do know some of the women I speak to say that change is happening. Uh, some of the women who are still serving. But judging by the number of women who have showed up at my book tour who are either currently serving or are veterans. And they come and they are crying uh, or they're emailing me or they're sending me messages on social media and they are crying because they're saying this happened to me and I was silent too. And they don't know how to cope with that, the weight of that. Um, there's that community that's being created between us now in a way that I think is really beautiful and wonderful. And that's how that change will be affected by more of us having those conversations. So okay. while I don't feel like the greatest, um, like anything, overly horrible happened to me at the same time. I feel like this is a book that's starting and sparking those conversations that are going to start affecting change. I hope so. I, you're a serious person, obviously. You you made it to captain after joining at 18. I'm talking to you, and uh, you're obviously quite intelligent and really... Uh, well, no, it's, it's clear. It comes right through. And um, you've taken the time to write of your experiences, and again, the title of the book is Girls Need Not Apply. It sounds like although you are perfectly cognizant of what's going on even to this day in there, you would say to young women, by all means, join. Go in eyes open, but join. It's a great experience. Am I right? Absolutely. It changed my life. It. Um, it's funny because I, well, it's not funny. I am 35 years old and I have uh, a physical disability for life. And then I also really slipped into depression when I left the military. I really struggled with losing that community because I had also grown up with it as a child. So I have struggled both physically and mentally. And um, But then I look at the things that I accomplished that I never thought I could. And, you know, they would um, poke at me for being overly girly and overly bubbly. And then I show, I went on my courses and I thought, okay, well then I'll be really good at my job. And I went on my logistics training and I was the top student on almost every course. And I, I wanted to show that I could be good at my job, not because I was a woman, because I was a soldier who dedicated myself to the same cause that everyone else did. And so there's something really beautiful in going through an experience that teaches you that you are a very small piece in the puzzle, but we all can make a difference if we stand up for what we think is important. Terrific. The book is available everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere. Well, there you go. Also an audio book and an e-book. So depending on uh, if, um, I th which I think is really great for inclusivity for people too and different ways to read. And so, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. And I wish you nothing but success with it. Kelly S. Thompson, thanks for Thank talking you. with us. Thank you so much. All right. Girls Need Not Apply. Field Notes from the Forces. Kelly S. Thompson. That's the book, and that's the lady. So um, go out and get it, especially if you are or know somebody who is interested in the military and you happen to be female.